as we continue through our study looking at the life of Jacob, I'm reminded that all of us as dads are in an apprenticeship program. I've heard it said that about the time you figure out what you're doing as a parent, you're out of business, and that's true. We're all better grandparents than we are parents. But the reality is we follow our Heavenly Father and we love Him and we want to be obedient to Him. We understand that. So I want to look today at at, uh, a dad, Jacob, and his following God and and submitting to Him and and finding God in, in one of the strangest places. But after all, can we ever go away from God? Real worship happens only when God, in His grace, reveals Himself to us. That's the only way it will ever happen. Our God is not a wood or stone statue with frightening forms and vacant eyes put away somewhere in a dark, somber place that is just recognized on occasions. No, we don't have to go and see our God. He comes to us, and He's with us. And when we come together to worship on a day like this, we're coming together to worship because we know that He comes with us through His Holy Spirit. He's within us. And because of that, we have a reason to be thankful. And and our hope is never vanquished because we know that He goes with us everywhere. Now, sometimes, either through our poor choices or because of life circumstances, we find ourselves in some pretty difficult places. Even dads that are supposed to know what, what's going on all the time, we can make choices that change our destiny and where we're going to go. Even when we're not looking for him, he shows up. And he's there for us. At those vacant times when you stand alone and, and you feel that no one is really there, God is there, there with you in a mighty way. He loves to surprise you with the bold sense of His power and presence. He loves to remind us in the the vacant times of life and the frustrating times that He's there. And that's what happened to Jacob when he was running away from his brother who had already threatened to kill him. And he didn't know what life was holding ahead, but he was afraid of his brother. And he had a reason to be afraid, for he had made poor choices. But we serve a God who forgives us and restores us. He will even take the mistakes that that we perform by our choices and use them to shape us into the Christian we should be. And because of that, we come together and we smile. I want to say welcome to to some of you that, that through this whole coronavirus thing, I think the way that it's hurt us most is by the way it separated us. And that's tough. Because Christians are people of fellowship. That, that is so important for us. I, I've, I've told you before, one of my favorite quotes is where three or four gather together in his name, a chicken must die. And that's the way we are. We get together and eat. We stay together. We don't just fellowship for a few minutes. We, we spend time together. And it's been tough. But as we pray for those who are still suffering under this virus and lift up those whose immune system is not prepared to go out into society, 
we remember that the body of Christ is much greater than those of us in this room. Far beyond this. But I remind you that, that no one has ever faced anything like this before without Jesus being there with them. You don't have to be afraid. Trust him and he'll get you through the storm. How can we experience an encounter with God like Jacob? How can we find ourselves in the place that Jacob was in because he was not really doing what you'd call God's will. He was running. He was terrified. But in the midst of his terror and his fear, he didn't have an answer. He had no idea how to fix this. How do you experience something like that and find yourself in a place with the eternal God where you can have a relationship with him? First, I want to remind you of this. If grace only came to those who deserved it, we'd all be in trouble. Grace, by its very definition, comes to those who have no reason to expect it. God's riches at Christ's expense is one of the little acrostics that we use to describe it. Unmerited favor is another. All these things describe a relationship that God has with us that's not based upon anything in us. It's based upon something in Him. At a time when Jacob was running scared, God in His grace reveals Himself to Jacob. And Jacob had not earned it. In fact, if anything, he didn't deserve it. He was a swindler. He was a liar. He didn't go far away from home to, to, to ply his, his, his crafty, evil abilities. He, he did it right at home to his own brother before his parents. He got in a lot of trouble. It wasn't going to go away anytime soon. And Jacob did not deserve to see God. In fact, he wasn't even looking for God. He was looking over his shoulder to stay away from Esau. But God loved him. And he cared about him. And he had a plan for him. Not a, not a plan that was put away somewhere in a, in a dusty cupboard that, that might work later if he ever changed. No, it's just like the plan for you and for me. It's on the front of God's mind. It's planned out perfectly to cause us to become the people He wants us to be. God doesn't show up because Jacob was a good boy. He doesn't show up in our lives because we're doing good. No, not at all. God presents Himself purely out of grace. There's this old idea that God pouts with us and he'll stay away from us. God doesn't work that way. As, as, as one great theologian put it, he said, God is like a Jewish mother. He's in your face when you're the furthest from him. God cares about you and, and he wants you to walk in his footsteps and grow. He wants you to succeed. He, he doesn't punish you by bad things. Remember, the consequences of your own sin will cause more harm to you in this life than anything else. If you're a Christian, you're saved by the blood of Jesus. And God doesn't punish you. 
But the choices you make that are wrong many times are the consequences of your poor choices, and you will punish yourself. But God is there to redeem you out of that and to bring you back from it. I'm so thankful he loves us. He cares about us. Jacob's father had already blessed him, passing on the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant. Now God himself blesses Jacob directly. Which would you rather have? I wanted to be blessed by my dad. My dad died in 1981. Been gone a long time. When I look at the picture of him that sits on the desk just above my computer where I study at home, I look at that picture of a young man. He was very young then. His first time in the military long before World War II. And I wonder what he would think about me today. We didn't share the same flesh and blood. He was my foster dad. But I wanted to please him. I wanted him to be proud of me. I've learned this over the years as I've experienced so many Father's Day without him. That my Heavenly Father lets me know that there will be a reunion. That one day I will be with Him again. And we'll get caught up. And each Father's Day is an opportunity for me to be the Father that God has called me to be. And that is so important. You know, Jacob was not a very good son, and he certainly wasn't a good father in many ways, but he learned from his mistakes. God himself blessed him. And on top of it all, God promises Jacob his protection. He said, I am with you. I will watch over you. I will bring you back, and I will not leave you. Jacob did not deserve that, but he was overwhelmed by it. He said the same thing that some people say after they leave church, not out loud, but to themselves. He said, the Lord was in this place, and I didn't know it. The young man, I would go to church many times, not expecting anything because I was going, I was a bond servant to my parents and they made me go. I didn't want to be there. I could close my eyes and I could be out fishing on our lake. But I remember the times that God spoke and it was so pointed and so blunt that it was as if God had put the words in the mouth of the minister directly to me. It took me years to figure out that, that my parents had not consulted with the preacher to tell him what to say. But God, my heavenly Father, was speaking through that pastor to not just me, but to many people in that room that needed hope and help. That's what God does. He doesn't show up randomly by accident. It's always intentional. I want you to stop and think about how Jesus came into this world in a time of Roman oppression and fear, in a, a faraway place called Bethlehem, the house of bread, located in a small Roman province. And do you remember why they showed up there? 
the census was going on. Y'all do know we have a census going on, don't you? I guess it's still going on. But in the midst of all of that, God was working in a way that, that man could not work. Was doing something that the Roman Empire could never accomplish. God shows up at the most unusual times. Jacob uses a stone for a pillow. Now, I'll tell you, you've got to be pretty tired to enjoy that. But he did, and he slept, and when he slept, he dreamed. And God revealed something to him that many of us even forget today. You know, angels have a purpose that's very significant. Although they serve different purposes for God at different times, but for us, they are singularly individuals that bring messages. They're messengers. And God opened up the eyes of this very foolish liar and cheat and, and let him see literally the movement of messengers from heaven to earth back and forth. And then God spoke to him. And in the midst of his observing that God can perfectly communicate with his children when he wants to, he says this, the promise I made your grandfather, I'm making it to you. Your offspring will be like the sands of the sea, like the dust of the air. Everywhere you go, I will bless. But you've got to understand, we have a relationship. And you've got to honor that by listening to me. Nobody was any more shocked than Jacob by God's appearance there. And we've got to have the trust that he had because this very foolish man that had literally schemed his way through life, had manipulated his way to everything that he had, suddenly realized, I don't have to be clever and brilliant and outwit other people because that's wrong. What I have to be is to be a repentant individual listening to the voice of God and following him. It's not in my mind, but in my heart, that life will go forward and be positive. So the second thing I want to think about is this. It is through His grace that God reveals the future to us. We don't dig it up on our own. We don't go out there and find it. It's not, it's not something hidden away from us. God does not have a secret word for you that's better than what he has for everybody else. No, he has a relationship with you that he wants to develop. And the only way for you to avoid that relationship is to not open up his word and read it. To not bow your head and pray to him, and especially the last one, to not listen to his guidance to you. The word of the Lord in your heart speaking to you is a guide that you need to follow. And if you will listen to him, he will change you. He shows up when we least expect it, when we think everything is fine. He shows up and he responds in an amazing way when we call him. We have one thing but to say to him, gratitude in yielding to what he would have us to do. Warren Wiersbe says that, that worship is the believer's response to all that he is. 
And as you are here today, I pray that your heart is warmed in responding to him, that you're preparing for this week because this is the first day of the week, and you're preparing because God is going to bless you. He's going to bless others through you if you will listen to him. But it's important for us to do that. So often we forget about that. In real worship, it begins by our being still and listening to him. The greatest battle that was ever faced, I believe, by almost anyone ever leading a group or a people, was faced by Moses as he was bringing the children of Israel out of bondage. They started griping right away, and, and immediately they were faced with the most treacherous reality, that of the Red Sea. And they didn't know what to do. They said, did we come here to die? Is this what God has done for us? And God spoke to Moses, and he told him to stand there. He didn't tell him to fight. He didn't tell him to, to draw out swords. He didn't tell him to get together a group of people and do anything. He said, Moses, stand. And if you will stand, I will do a mighty work. And he did. He parted the Red Sea. And a couple of million Israelites walked through on dry land. Sometimes we're not willing to stand and let God work because we like to have control. We want to know that, 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 that if, if something goes wrong, we can tweak it and fix it. That's just kind of the American way. We, we love control. I think it all started with those remotes they gave us with our TVs back in the 80s. You know, just the idea of pushing a button, you know, having that control. But the reality is we don't have control. Far from it. We don't have control like we would want to have. And things are going to happen. But God loves us and he leads us and he guides us. But lastly this, what is the appropriate way to respond to God? If you're walking in your life and, and you realize I've not acknowledged God as I should, I've not listened to him, I'm not allowing him to guide me daily, I give him his five minutes occasionally, and after that I walk away and say, I'm good, God, let me go. What is the appropriate way to respond to God? Jacob said, Lord was in this place and I didn't even know it. And let's admit, first and foremost, we don't realize how actively God wants to be involved in our lives. He is not there as an emergency person we call on. He's not there like a, a fire extinguisher. He's there wanting to be involved in every area of my life. I used to get really frustrated when I would see cars that would have the plate on the front that said, God is my co-pilot. Well, that's, a, that's kind of a sad admission that, you know, he's just there in case I need him. You know, God just hang around. I watched the way some of those people drove. God wasn't anywhere near them. <laughs> he didn't want to be a part of that. The reality is this, God is our everything. Without him, we wouldn't exist. Our breath could not sustain us. One of the sh most shocking things that I ever learned was the reality that, humanly speaking, and Charlie Duckett isn't here, I'd love to get him up here. Well, no, he'd take too long explaining it, but he, he knows it. We are basically a pool of chemicals that electricity runs through and operates us. 
And if your heart on, 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 a, on a downward beat, Dr. Chittam, is this correct, receives a hit in some way or an electrical impulse, it can just stop. You just panic. It'll just quit. We are that frail. We are not strong. You know, God sustains us. And we forget about that. The only way to respond to God is to yield to Him and to let Him know that we need Him more than ever. Sometimes we drift through life and we don't even acknowledge Him. We may come to church and we may go through the, the holidays and the seasons. We might even get up and say a prayer over a meal. But that's the only communication we have with God. And we forget about who He is. But He's never forgotten about us. He's waiting. He's watching. He's giving us indications of His love. And we must realize the importance of that. There's a writer by the name of, of Annie Dillard. She's not, I wouldn't call her a Christian. She's drifted through many different religions. She was Catholic for a little while, but she's, she's one of the best writers I've ever read. And one of the things that she discovered, because she believes in God, she just doesn't know what to believe in God. And she's, I, I call her a... a uh, an experiment that's still going through the process. She's 71, so she better hurry up. But one of the things she wrote one time, and I've, I've read a number of her books, but this is from her book, Teaching a Stone to Talk. She said this. She said, It's madness to go to church and to wear a nice hat or a nice suit. The reality is we ought to wear crash helmets. Ushers should be issued life preservers and signal flares, and they should lash us to our pews because we are coming before a God who is greater than any force we've ever known. And to have an encounter with Him should be an eye-opening moment in such a way that we never return the same again. I don't tell you something, I agree with her. Annie Dillard was spot on because the true and the living God that I think she saw at a distance but was terrified of is waiting to embrace us and to love us and to guide us. True worship is not child's play. It's the recognition of the presence of Almighty God. It's just that important. Billy Graham one time was, was heading down to a revival that a friend was having in his church. And he was young in the ministry, but he, he had been recognized by many people. And he ended up in a little town. It wasn't Ludowissi, Georgia. That's where a lot of folks got pulled over and, and got tickets because that's the way they made their living. But it was another town, Mississippi, that was a speed trap. And he got pulled over, and he got a ticket, and they told him, they said, you've got to go before the judge. And he said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm heading down to the Gulf Coast, and I'll be coming back. And they said, no, you go right now. Judge is sitting down there waiting on you. He gets down to the courthouse, walks in, and the judge immediately understood they pulled over an evangelist. And he came before him, and he looked at him, and he said, well, there's no doubt you were speeding. And he said, yes, sir, I admit I was going over the speed limit. And he said, yeah, you were going over 10 miles. And he said, and, and the fine is a dollar per mile, and you owe us $10. 
But the judge stood up and reached in his back pocket, pulled out a $10 bill and stapled it to the ticket and handed it to the clerk and said, when do you have to be down there? And he said, tomorrow morning. He says, we're going to dinner. And he bought Billy Graham what he called the best steak he had ever eaten before. Billy Graham told that story and he said, this is what grace is all about. God not only pays your ticket, he gives you a steak dinner. He's there for you when you need him most. And dear people, I think Jacob understood something about God that he never knew before. That our God is a God who not only loves us and forgives us, he's got plans for us far beyond anything we could ever imagine. And I just want to close with this. I want to ask you a personal question. What have you done with those plans? Are you listening to him? Are you still walking, following after him, or have you gotten sidelined in life? Have you gotten away from where you once traveled circumspectly with him? Because you see, that's the most important thing in life, that we go with him and we never miss an opportunity for a blessing. He certainly wants to bless you. Let us pray. Father, I thank you that your holy word gives to us strength and direction but it also corrects us it calls us to realize that we are not the end all and be all of life that we are learning as we go along and the only true things that we will learn that will last forever are those things that we learn from you heavenly father and i pray that you would speak to someone this morning that's struggling with life that situations and circumstances have gotten them away from where they had started. And Lord, those people you love dearly. And I pray that you would speak to someone just now that needs to hear your voice and that needs the encouragement of the Almighty. And Father, if there's one here that just simply needs to come to the altar and pray, may they have the freedom to do that even right now. Father, speak to someone in this moment of reflection and invitation. And may they respond as your spirit leads. For we pray this in your holy name, Lord. Amen.